Better Call Saul. Season 4, Episode 8, Kashada is over, but we're just getting started here on the Better Call Saul post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who are ready to say, let's do it again. I'm Rob Sestrino here with Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you? So happy to be doing it again with you, Rob. Yeah. I am uh, very excited to be back talking some Better Call Saul with you because I have thought the last couple episodes have been really great. This is the first time in a couple of weeks that you and I are able to talk about Better Call Saul. Thank you again to Josh Wiggler, who filled in for me last week. We had one week where we uh, didn't have an episode. You guys talked about two episodes last week. Uh, For anybody who uh, was out of the loop, uh, we had a death in the family that uh, my mother-in-law passed away. So I have been here in New York with my wife and her family uh, as uh, we uh, go through all of that, but uh, thank you uh, again, uh, Josh Wiggler, for uh, stepping in for me on the podcast uh, last week. Antonio, I'm very excited to talk about uh, this. Really, uh, I have—I n- don't know if I've ever been more excited to talk about an episode of Better Call Saul. I'm so pumped <laughs> This makes up. me happy. Yeah, this makes me happy. I'm glad Better Call Saul was able to provide some respite for you uh, from the events because this is... Uh, there. Th- things are picking up on Better Call Saul, Rob, and I hope you have your burner phones ready because yeah. we're going to go through them all. <laughs> we're ready. We're ready. Because yeah. to me, I-, I thought this episode, Antonio, was the biggest game change in the history of the show. Whoa, really? Because of Kim? Yes, because of Kim. Because I think that, uh, you know, you and I, and I think it's just about ever all of the listeners, I think we all had it figured out that we felt like, okay, uh, this is a nice little story. And okay, oh, that, you know, we had that whole montage setting up. Oh, okay. So I guess we know where this is going. So Jim and Kimmy are drifting apart. And okay, Jimmy is becoming Saul. And Kim is going off into her whole life with Mesa Verde. And Kim is eventually going to say, look, you know, I'm too old for this. I've had it with this enough of you. And they were going to have some sort of a breakup or maybe, you know, Kim, innocent bystander, well, you know, something terrible might end up happening to her. But in this episode, we got to see this spark where the only way that Kim feels alive, Antonio, is when she is with Slippin' Jimmy. And I think this changes everything. This certainly changes things for Mesa Verde, I'd say. Uh, their their attorney is seemingly somebody who's more interested in running con games than bank games. Uh, she might want to run a bank job than work her bank job. This is a this is definitely a game changer for Kim. And look, she's been stuck in a rut, right? She's been stuck in a rut. She didn't like the bank and continuing to open more banks. We thought she pulled herself out of the rut by getting into the PD work, by getting into the public defender work. This was giving her life some purpose and some meaning, some of the things that Jimmy was lacking. But no, the spark that's missing from her life, Rob, seems to be the edge, the Mm -hmm. edge that she gets from running these cons. And so here we are. Yeah. And where you and Josh were talking about last week, you know, she was sort of like settling into that Chuck role of, okay, Jimmy is the bad influence. And she was, you know, sort of identifying who he was and she didn't really want any part of that. You know, we had this, uh, this great shift as I was wondering, why did she take on this case of representing Huel? You know, she is uh, taking on all these people that seem like that they are people with bad circumstances, but here she is representing Huel and the DA really threw it in her face in uh, last week's episode of like, you know, the only guy around 
down here is this loser who uh, is selling burner phones. And it's almost like that the light bulb went off for her in the opposite direction where we've seen her more into Jimmy than we've seen her maybe almost ever. It's great, too, because in this episode throughout in, in right until that last scene, I think we as an audience and certainly Jimmy feels like it could be going in the other direction. She he thinks maybe it's over. Even Mrs. Kim, Rob, gets in on the act, bringing Jimmy alcohol and saying you need to apologize. Whatever she says, say sorry. By the way, I think you should take a note of that advice from Mrs. Kim, just in case you ever need it. But yeah. uh but, uh, but yeah, this is a, Jimmy thinks the whole time he says to Mrs. Kim, I think we're past that point. And he makes this big apology to Kim and Kim's like, no, 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 no. You're misunderstanding. Let's do it again. So I, even as an audience, and I think Jimmy, the character, we, we were all duped by this, by Kim. My question is, you seem to be very excited about this, but certainly it spells doom for Kim Wexler, right? Yeah, but I think that it's something different than what we were expecting. And uh, I've spent the last couple of weeks talking about how I disdain, I have disdain for the boring couples on television. And to me, this has turned the Jimmy and Kim relationship, which could was potentially a little boring of, hey, what, what takeout should we get? What old movie should we watch? From being very mundane to being something extremely interesting to watch play out. Do you think the door is open at all for a Kim Wexler in Saul Goodman's life, at least somewhat during the Breaking Bad timeline? I do wonder if that's uh, a possibility. Like, could she be the ultimate, uh, you know, Kaiser Soze grifter where does she run off with all Jimmy's money at some point? And, uh, you know, is, is that the inciting incident that makes uh, Jimmy go full Saul? It's a good question. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I just, I agree with you that the door is open at least for exciting possibilities like that. But with that excitement comes at least a healthy dose of dread, at least on my part, because I'm now concerned for Kim Wexler. I don't think this ends well. I think people, I mentioned this with Josh. I know you listened that I think they're circling the drain and she's down in the muck with him at this point. She's enjoying circling the drain, but I think it only ends one way. And that's the part that I'm concerned about for Kim is the one way that this is going to end for her is not good considering where she's been and considering her, her actual heft the things that she can achieve both above and under the table. She's very talented and very good at what she does. And she seems unwilling now to use those talents for the right reasons that we see in this episode. She tells Kevin from, from uh, Mesa Verde, uh, you know what? I think you just listen to Paige. She could have like, done yeah, it. She could have pulled, she, she pulled, pulled it off. She could have pulled it off. Yeah. For sure. So now she's only using her talent. She's taking her talents to South Beach. This is not good. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you say that, okay, you're filled with dread about what could happen to Kim, do you feel like that this reinforces the idea? You think that she might be dead in the Breaking Bad timeline? dead or incarcerated yeah. <laughs> or in a bad, bad place. Yes, absolutely. I, it, the, the, the point that, and, and we'll talk about this when we talk about some other significant things that happened from the show, namely uh, the character uh, from the Salamanca family showing up who was name checked in breaking bad in a terrified way by Saul Goodman. Uh, if you're going to get at Jimmy and Jimmy has people that are close to him, that would be the first place that you would start. So I am scared for Kim, no matter what, 
what that 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 spells. It just does. It spells doom to me, no matter how it goes. So I don't know. She's trying to do right. I think she's right that Huel was being really screwed over, but the way they went about it was pretty creative and it excited her. So you're right. A lot of energy. I'm wondering, Rob, before we proceed any further into this episode, do you feel also energized by the time jump? The fact that we've talked about this so long in the show, now we have a time jump. Is this something that excites you? Yeah, the time jump was exciting just because I think it gets us closer to uh, where we were. I, I didn't feel like on the other end of the time jump that the, the world had changed dramatically. I, I mean, uh, you guys uh, mentioned uh, what was going on with uh, with Nacho, and it seemed like that we were in a you know very precarious spot with Nacho and Hector in uh, the previous episode and Nacho seemed to be up to full speed here so I do think it was necessary uh, I think it would have been very boring to watch Jimmy serve out that whole one year sentence working at the cell phone store definitely he would have been him bouncing the ball against the wall the whole time yeah so yeah the time jump I think has added some energy to the show we still don't know Rob what's become of poor Howard mm-hmm. uh, did Howard meet Howard's end during that time jump uh, does is HHM going to be looking at that office with the rats that Jimmy was looking at at the end of this episode but uh, we are we are seeing what happened with Nacho and by by having a time jump things have changed and things have changed for a lot of our characters so I do think that adds energy as well and so I, I think that that probably helps and has probably moved the needle for you in, in terms of why you're excited, it sounds like, with these last couple of episodes. A time jump helps. That said, Rob, the lab's not getting built. The lab is, is not getting uh, built yet. Uh, let me just add one other thing that I, I know you're really down on the prospects for Kim. I actually am a little more bullish that I, I wonder if, based on everything that we're seeing about how Slippin' Jimmy and Kim together, you know, uh, were this, you know, uh, Bonnie and Clyde-esque team. If something that was uh, completely terrible was to happen where Jimmy's involvement in this world caused Kim to be, you know, uh, gunned down or, you know, murdered in some way, I don't know if he would still continue on in Albuquerque in, you know, this similar vein. So I feel a little more optimistic that she could still be out there and potentially part of that gene timeline uh, in the end. That would be great. I, I mean, I think we've speculated a lot that she could be part of the gene timeline and that could be where we bring them back together, that the show has become the story of Jimmy and Kim. This is certainly a very interesting twist in the story. What you said earlier about how, why it's interesting is because it was unexpected. If it feels like that, if that's the way we're doing storytelling now that we're, we're delivering something unexpected, but we're excited about the expected thing at this point, I think, is for this to go badly for Kim. So for it to not go badly is unexpected. And I think, oh, I think that is go exciting. Badly. I, I just don't know yeah. 100% if she's going to be murdered. Yeah, I'm not. And I, I don't know if that's true. I, I think Kim in jail is a much more uh, unfortunate and also possible possibility. So we shall see. Yeah. And so uh, we, uh, we'll see about that. Yeah. But uh, in terms of uh, what's going on with the the Germans, uh, this was a storyline. I really I wasn't sure why this was a part here of season four. But I have to say, I am enjoying it. Uh, I like Mike uh, babysitting Werner and uh, his uh, gang of uh, German construction workers. 
You like German Big Brother is what it comes down to. You like the Big Brother house that Mike built. Uh, you like the fact that uh, Kai is going to get evicted by a bitter jury. You love all this stuff. This is great. Yeah, I think that this has been uh, very fun and you knew it was going to be a problem. I'm surprised that Mike actually went for that last week where Werner was talking about how, you know, the guys, they are going crazy. Oh, come on. Uh, okay, uh, let's go have some R&R. Let's have shore leave. <laughs> And, <laughs> and Mike learns how to speak German at some point. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, though, that the, the plan was bad for a guy who doesn't really believe in half measures. Kind of feel like that uh, Mike could have rented out some sort of a party bus, some sort of a third party and uh, brought the you know strippers in as opposed to like taking these guys out in public. You want Mike to be a pimp, Rob? No, I just want Mike to be a little more discreet <laughs> with what's going on because, I, I mean, you could have seen this disaster coming a mile away and this seems uncharacteristic for Mike to say, all right, let's bring our German construction working crew that hasn't seen another person in eight months out to a bar. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think we expected that Kai would screw something up and that does yes. happen. But the bigger mishap is is poor sad sack Werner just so eager to prove how cool and good he is talking to some randos and sketching out the super lab on a bar coaster. I mean, that I did not expect that to happen. I expected Kai to screw something up. I did not expect Werner to, to give the, the store away to some random due to order to Hefeweizen. Yeah. Now, Antonio, does Werner know what the super lab is for or is he just under the impression that he's building the Batcave and he doesn't know that ultimately is going to be used for there to be some sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, process power of giant uh, crystal meth making. You'd have to assume that he's guessed that it involves drugs because he's talking to somebody near the border. He's talking to somebody mysterious. He's talking to a guy uh, in Gus Fring who seems like that kind of kingpin guy who hides in the shadows right. and doesn't reveal his face. And it has to be super secret and it's super huge and it's at a laundry. The, I think Werner's smart enough to probably put together what this is. Look, I mean, Mike's got the whole place mic'd up. So if these guys have talked about it, Mike's heard him talking about it, even if it was in German, but these guys have nothing else to do. So they're probably sitting around talking about like, what are we even building? Like, what is this for? He knows there has to be an elevator shaft. He knows it has to be on. So he knows enough about it to deduce that it's probably drug related at the very least. I'm not sure if he knows it's meth, but he's got to know that this is drug related. I mean, look at the whole cloak and dagger that he went through to even get to the joint. He flies to Denver. He has to put a bag over his head. Mm -hmm. and ride in the back of a car for however long. Like, he knows that this is under the table, something illegal. I don't think he thinks it's terrorism, yeah. so he probably assumes it's drugs. The French guy seems to know that he had done, like, some sort of a tunnel. Should they have hired the French guy in hindsight? It's a good point. The French guy did know that he'd work for. I mean, I don't think so because the French guy was legitimately telling Mike after nothing that he, he dug tunnels uh, for the cartels. So if he's bragging about that work that he did, I don't think he would have told, kept it secret to anyone uh, that he built this meth super lab. So at least Werner, maybe, maybe, maybe will keep it secret. It doesn't seem likely, though. We saw Werner get his last warning. I don't think this ends well. But again, you're talking about 
His last verning. <laughs> I'm sorry, Michael. I thought I had a verning. Uh, yeah, I don't think ultimately this is going to go well. But again, if you want to talk about unexpected storylines, do you expect multiple Germans to die in, with, before the end of this season? Yeah, because I was wondering myself, you know, this has been fun. I like Mike with this group. It's been, you know, enjoyable. But why? Why is this a major storyline? Why is this the B story here in Better Call Saul season four? And uh, that do you believe that this is going to be is is Gus going to give the order to exverminate this group? <laughs> it's uh i don't think so the, the thing is mike tells walter in breaking bad at one point like you know what walter you can't just kill 11 people as a prophylactic measure when walt wants to get a bunch of guys off of mike's books and mike is not willing to just mass execute a bunch of people now the question you have to ask yourself those are mike's guys at that point these are mike's guys is mike that way in breaking bad because of a previous incident where it happened or is Mike consistent in his through line of not wanting to just wipe these guys off the face of the map mm -hmm. to prevent the possibility that they might speak out? So it's an open question. I don't I don't feel strongly one way or the other. I think it's likely. I mean, we what we've talked about and what we've seen them talking about repeatedly is. Look, Kai can't go because Kai's a really good blaster. This is my number one demolitions guy. There's still this big rock in the elevator shaft, and that's got to go. Mike is even telling Gus that this week. We got a rock. We got to get rid of it. That means more blasting. So we know that there's going to be some blasting work done. Is there going to be an accident that happens with the blasting? Uh, is Once that happens, is Kai then expendable? Uh, what happens from that point on? I don't know. But Werner's the one I'm worried about. And if Gus says to Mike, like, you know what? I leave it to you. You decide. And Mike feels that he has to take Werner out that might be the kind of thing that puts Mike in a position where we find him in Breaking Bad or is more of a cold-blooded killer. This is still yeah. a guy who doesn't kill, as we know. Yeah, I think that that's really what it's going to come down to. And you and Josh were talking about how, uh, you know, we had the moment, I think it was at the end of season two, where Mike had the rifle and he was going to take the shot on Hector. And then he ultimately didn't do it. And then, of course, uh, you know, we see Mike is a, uh, you know, cold-blooded killer in the Breaking Bad timeline that we are going to have to uh, see Mike have to uh, take some steps in that direction. So I, I do think that uh, Mike is going to have to take one of these guys out. And I think it will be a, a difficult call. And it will be either, either it will be Werner or it would be a significant violation of the relationship that he has with gotta Werner. We've Kai, seen though. It's got to be Kai. <laughs> it, it seems like it has to be Kai. They can't do uh, maybe it without Werner. Maybe the call is uh, maybe and maybe that scuttles it like we don't know. The, the other thing to keep in mind is if you look at timelines, this lab is not even open yet. By the time we get to season four of Breaking Bad, it's really just getting going. Uh, and or at least it's it's only getting going in the in the time frame around that time, it seems like. So what causes it to not really be used for that period of time? Whatever, however long that period is, we don't know. Uh, does it get finished? We don't know. What I do know is we have seen Mike and Werner bonding throughout the course of this season. Werner is telling him, Michael, you are 
one of us, Ermin Trout, to breaking down his name. We see them talking at the bar about their fathers and about their relationships and their families. And so that is really building what I think is going to be this bond that will be very tough to see broken, either because Mike feels the need to take Werner out or because Mike has to take one of the guys out and he knows that's a violation of Werner. So we shall see. Something, though, has to be coming. Antonio, do you think that Vanner and his people will ultimately finish the job, or do you think that we will see another crew have to come in and finish the super lab? I I like to think that some form of this crew finishes the job, but it does feel like we're building towards something happening, some confrontation. This is not a season that has a real, at least at first glance, consistent arc. And the arc might be whatever Mike is going through that, that might be part of the arc. So I feel like the, the big climactic moment of that should be coming up next week's episode. This is not a spoiler. I think is titled feeder sane, uh, oh which of course, yeah, not great. Uh, in some respects, uh, we hear Werner say that during the episode from this week. So I don't know that that spells anything really good for next week. We shall see. I think once they blast that rock, out it's anybody's guess what happens next okay um we sort of touched on the big picture for kim but i'd love to just uh, talk through the huel case with you let's do it i'm happy to i'm happy to play a part i can be an uninterested third party like a uh, amicus curiae like a friend of the court uh, i'll file a brief here okay antonio we saw kim put jimmy on a bus at the start of the episode uh, did you have any idea what jimmy was doing during the bus montage our weekly montage of the week i felt like i knew what was going on once i saw him riding with his offhand and he was traveling out of town i thought he's writing these letters as to to you know somebody in the court back i, I mean i i did feel like i had a sense of what was happening i had no concept of the scope of it <laughs> the phones thing really took me even even after i saw the phones charging in his office i didn't realize how that was all going to play out but when i saw him writing the letters i thought yeah he's taking the bus so he can mail these fake letters in defense of fuel that's absolutely what's happened yeah I thought he was going on the bus from place to place to be putting letters in uh, like different P.O. box or different uh, post offices so that he could uh, say like, OK, well, here's letters from around the country. I did not realize that we were all headed towards uh, Cushada. Cushada, the name of the episode. Yeah, we get out and it's just a, a quick stop. He's, he's he's in and he's right out. So he's just there. Rob, have you ever heard of remailing services? I thought that was a thing back in the day, and I think it still is, where you can basically mail a package to, like, if I wanted to send you a letter, but I wanted it postmarked from a different city, I could send the letter in an envelope to a remailing service in that's in a different city, and then they open the envelope, and then they mail my letter out, so I get a postmark from that city. Does that not exist? Am I making that up? I mean, why would anybody need that with the exception of committing fraud? <laughs> uh, who knows? It's a good question. I mean, maybe if you wanted to disguise where something was coming from right. in a non-fraudulent way, I once sent Josh Wiggler a surprise birthday gift in the mail. Uh, and one, I thought once he sees this Kentucky postmark, it's over for me. But had I managed to find some way to mail that from New York City, it would have thrown him for a loop. It would have been even better, Josh, uh, Rob, if I had found some way to send that from like Alaska or from like Washington State. I think they State. have I it really at the North Pole. I think if you send a letter to Santa Claus, they send you back one. 
from the North Pole. So there you go. Yeah, I think there are ways to pull this off. But look, they don't need it. Just put Jimmy McGill on a bus. Yeah. So uh, we send uh, Jimmy off on the bus and it does. It feels like throughout most of the episode that, uh, you know, Kim is like doing Jimmy a favor. She doesn't seem like she's uh, that excited by this. Yeah, this is the misdirection, right? And I'm not sure she really knew how excited it was going to make her until it was all said and done. There is a moment somewhere in the middle of the episode where she's had a confrontation with the DA and she's walking away and she lets out this like a, like this gasp almost. Like she's really taken aback, I think. But you're right. That's the misdirection. It's set up throughout the episode. She's stone cold. She's not saying she's got her headphones on. Yeah, I'll see you later. Yeah, you go to Texas or you go to Louisiana. Yo, you do this. You do that. It, it does seem like a favor. Jimmy is presenting it like a favor. Kim does not seem all in. But I think she didn't necessarily realize how much it was going to really speak to her until it was all said and done. Okay. What do you think about this character? Is she the DA? Am I using the uh, right uh, nomenclature? Close enough. DA or ADA. I'm not sure if she's the official DA. Okay. I, I like this character. I thought she, the actress does a really good job. So well cast. I thought that after last week, I was like, this is, a, this is really good casting because this woman does not come across as somebody who is an easy mark. She comes right. across as somebody who is going to take some uh, whittling down for sure. She's really no nonsense. She's a straight shooter. She's the same woman who last week says to Kim about how, uh, you know, Jimmy is a uh, degenerate who sells burner phones and she's not giving an inch. We, uh, we saw a uh, Kim really uh, get her way very quickly the last time she tried to do something like this. And uh, the DA is insisting 18 months jail time for Huel. It's rough. And I understand why, if you look on paper, he's a pickpocket who assaulted the same police officer who previously booked him. If you just take it at face value, it doesn't look good for Huel. The assault, though, Rob, is so dumb. Like, the only salt there is the sodium level of those sandwiches. This is pretty weak stuff. Yeah. Yeah, cold cuts. Yeah, Uh, yeah, not good for you. So, nitrates. And this is just not not really... But if you look at it on paper, and that's all she knows about the case, it doesn't look great. And so she's really pushing it. Even though Kim pointed out last week the inconsistent application for this particular type of incident uh, with regard to previous incidents. Uh, Huel is Huel is in trouble because of his previous incidents. Even when the ADA or DA, whatever she is, runs back into the room after she's faced off with Kim and the judge, she basically says, I want to find out why people are so excited or people really want to help a pickpocket. All she sees Huel is as a, is as a pickpocket. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a huge part of it is that she just sees him on paper. She doesn't know anything else beyond that. Now, when Kim ends up bringing those uh, three other associates in there uh, with her, as uh, the DA calls it for, uh, you know, shock and awe as she's trying to, you know, uh, really uh, back off the prosecution. Were those three associates, were those people from uh, uh, Schweikert and uh, Associates? I got the impression that they probably were. She got uh, Schweikert the- people working on the Huell case? Yeah, the DA is like, why are you bringing in like these billable associates in here? Like these are people that you use to make money and you're bringing them in here on this pro bono case. And Kim sort of says, I never said I was doing this for free. So it is, uh, I think that should have been right there. That should have been a little bit of a note for that DA. Like you maybe aren't completely aware of the full picture here. Like you think you see the board, but maybe you don't really know what you're seeing. So yeah, I think those were Schweikert people for sure. They were hot shots. Yeah. 
but don't you think this is the kind of thing that, I mean, is Kim supposed to be working on these cases with uh, Schweikert Resources? I think that that's probably part of her agreement. I, she may have gone in at partner level, like she was saying. So she might have a little bit more control at Schweikert. I mean, if she's bringing them millions of dollars of work with Mesa Verde, like it sounds, uh, she may have a little bit more leeway to do what she wants. Okay. And so ultimately we get that really great scene where they start opening up all of the mail and start calling the phones. We got the return of the, uh, are they college students that Jimmy worked with on making the commercial? At this point, yeah. I mean, they were probably film students uh, or UNM students at the very least. That's his crew. We've seen him before a couple times. If there's one thing you can count on, it's death, taxes, and Better Call Saul reusing people that they like. So we should, at the beginning of next season, do a recurring character draft. Yeah, yeah who's going to uh, come and, back? And that, who's gonna, not who's going to die, but who's going to come back. Yeah. That's what we should do. This was really fun, though. Yeah, very fun. I, I, I think everybody probably, if you didn't, if this didn't make you like really enjoy seeing what was going on, this caper, this is one of the best ones we've ever seen on a show that's full of them. Maybe the best one between these two. So it was really, really fun. The different phones, the accents, the different rooms, the way that it's presented where we're not in on the caper right away, right? She calls a couple of the numbers and she gets a voicemail for somebody and then she gets a live one on the other end and it's this woman and she's indignant. And then finally we see the film crew. Uh, the girl's been taking improv, Rob. Everybody knows that works. <laughs> so uh, poor, poor girl got wrapped up in a pyramid scheme. Uh, but yeah, this, uh, this all works out. It's just, it really plays out really well. It's so fun. Yeah. And Huel was a hero. He saved everybody from the fire. Oh, there was a fire. Yeah, he saved Mr. Babineau, came in and saved everybody. Yeah, that Jimmy's accent is OTT. Like that Bayou accent. I've And I've seen Bob Odenkirk use accents like this on his work on Mr. Show in the past. Like this is similar to some of his classic stock and trade characters. Really fun to see him break that out on Better Call Saul. The DA is just rolling her eyes like, oh no, you're going to bring two charter buses up here. Like this is so rough. You had the, the CD with the uh, the organ music in the background. They're making donations real time so that she sees it on the website. Did you know, mm -hmm. Rob, by the way, that this is a real website that you can go to? <laughs> well, I saw that you said on Twitter that you called the phone number. Yeah, if you call the phone number, uh, and I called it that Monday night, because I I often do this when they show a phone number in Better Call Saul, at least maybe maybe like a quarter of the time, sometimes half the time, if you call the number, it actually works. And you end up with something, a little show Easter egg. This number was 318-426-9662, a Shreveport, Louisiana phone. And it was a voicemail recording of Bob Odenkirk uh, talking about reaching the church and everything like that. So very funny stuff. The website is great. So many hilarious pictures of the guy who plays Huel on that website. Some great stuff there. What's the website again? Uh, let's see. I, I, it's like first... Oh, oh, now it's bad. We're going to have to delete. This. Okay. No, um, be fine. That, uh, you know, uh, when you, when you have it, uh, tell us what it is. Uh, yeah. but the website donations that, uh, to me, uh, I thought that it was uh, very reminiscent of the website that, uh, Walt jr. Sets up, uh, at when, uh, that they set up the website at his school. 
It was very much so. The, not not the same amount of money coming in, and probably not for the same reasons. But I thought the same thing. Um, very much, very reminiscent of that. Probably a little bit nicer website, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. like than that little GeoCity site or whatever Angel Fire that uh, Walt Jr. had set up. But uh, and that was later. yeah, very similar. That was very down the reminiscent. Road. Yep. Uh, that was that was down the road. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Free Will Baptist Church. I'm not sure exactly what. I think the link is freewill-baptistchurch.com. Okay, freewill-baptistchurch. Uh, uh, okay, um, Antonio. That scene where Jimmy comes to find it. Yeah, that is right. Uh, with pictures of Huel. <laughs> I mean, did, did they did they have to put uh, Huel yeah, in so a, many pictures in a choir of Huel on that website? Uh, yeah, so many pictures of Huel on that website. I mean, uh, we should have seen the photo shoot with Huel uh, for this uh, website. It would have spoiled the surprise, but you're right. Maybe the deleted scenes are outtakes. We should see that. I think that ranks second only to the squat cobbler video in terms of things from Better Call Saul that we'd like to see in the outtakes. <laughs> okay. So uh, that scene where we see Jimmy go uh, to Kim and she takes him into the stairwell. And Jimmy has no idea that Kim is actually way into this, that uh, he is under the impression that even a nice dinner someplace with cloth napkins, uh, there's no way of fixing this. And when she pushes him against the wall and starts kissing him, uh, I was blown away. I was too, man. I was not, I did not see that coming. I, to be fair, I don't think Kim did either. It, uh, it was a culmination of a lot and I don't think Jimmy saw it coming either, but listen, this is nothing. If not, uh, if not another chapter in the up and down of Kim and Jimmy, this is something that brought them back together. They have not fixed their underlying issues. They have not fixed their communication issues. They have not fixed anything. They're just on a drug bender at this point. They're just, they're just really leaning in, uh, to that. So the endorphins are high and that's great, but this does not fix any, any problems between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Did you have any idea that something like this was coming? I mean, is there any sort of, uh, you know, backstory for Kim that supports that this is the way she might feel? I don't think so. Other than the fact that she's restless, right? Mm -hmm. Other than the fact that we've not seen her be happy with her place in the law in a very long time on this show, if ever, really. Uh, The beginning stories for Kim were all about her wanting to rise up at HHM and being put out to pasture in part as retaliation against Jimmy. So I'm not sure. What we know about Kim is that she comes from a small town. She feels like if she'd have stayed in that small town, it would have been bad for her. And that's what she says in a job interview. So that's her best version of the story. What the rest of the story looks like, I'm not sure that we know. What we've seen in the past is that that she's enjoyed that lifestyle with Jimmy, that it's been a little bit of a rush and that it's been fun but that she's never really leaned into the criminal elements of it. As Jimmy points out after their big passionate kiss in the scene outside of his law firm or potential law firm, I should say, she has committed now so much mail fraud. She's done all these things Mm -hmm. that sound in very actual criminal acts. And so maybe she's crossed the Rubicon when it comes to what she's doing. Uh, There were victimless crimes before in that, 
nobody got anything out of it really all they got was a bottle of tequila when they've ripped these people off in the past a guy wrote him a check that they keep as a memento they didn't really profit from it but here this is not a quote-unquote victimless crime no matter where you want to place the morality of the incident they definitely affected they they defrauded the state i mean that's what they did so absolutely criminal act. So she's crossed a, a, a certainly a line that we haven't seen her cross and that we've actually seen her not want to cross before. Right. So this doesn't seem like something that we were expecting to see. I don't think. Well, w- she was involved in the Chuck trial, the famous, uh, you know, chicanery episode from last season. And she was, she was involved with that, but she didn't seem to get the same thrill from that. And maybe because it, uh, you know, that there was a very clear victim in Chuck. And I don't think that she felt great about that. It's something that that whole incident pushed her further away from Jimmy. Yeah, it did. And it seemed like she was really upset by that. She blew up at Paige at the end of last season because she felt like they had wronged Chuck and they took advantage of a sick old man. And now here we are. So we have seen her get a rush, though, out of the cons that they've run together when they've pretended to be Natalia or Natasha or whatever, when they've pretended to be different people and run cons on the high rollers like Ken Wins or that uh, poor man's Timothy Oliphant uh, from the the hotel bar there and a couple the, seasons the season ago. two premiere i think the i station zebra associates yeah, yeah. it might have been the season two premiere so we've seen that and we've seen her be happy with that but we've also seen jimmy in his bitterness after the chuck trial if you will he spots a guy that reminds him of chuck at a bar and he says we're going to run a credit card scam on this guy and you see and just feel the hatred seeping out of jimmy at that point and kim says yeah but this is we're just talking right like we're not going to do any of this stuff and now here we have it she is actually violating the law she's really skirting it Maybe she has formed some negative opinions about the system after representing a lot of her public defender clients. I think that will sour a lot of people on the efficacy of the system, on the validity and the decency of the system. I think if you're in the trenches like that, you start looking at uh, cops and robbers in a little bit of a different kind of way. So maybe that's part of it as well. Because we had a time jump, we didn't really see that happen gradually. And we're just sort of finding it out. But I think we're finding it out at the same time Kim is. And so that's the interesting thing for me. Right. And she's lost interest in all things Mesa Verde. Uh, We saw for the first time, she really let Kevin down in that meeting where he wants to, I I mean, uh, are Kevin's ideas about banking? I mean, it seems like uh, he sounds like a little kid talking about that. He feels like that the shape of the bank is really uh, helping the bottom line. Possible. Yeah, I don't know. This is a, he seems to fit a mold of a guy like this that you might see at the top of a company who just has an idea and says something and expects people to make it happen because he said it. And Paige is maybe drawing a line in her own work. Paige's internal monologue is like, Kevin is such an idiot. Kevin is so dumb. I should be running this bank. Yep. Kevin is, is a moron. So that was my question is, did you think that the, I think we agreed earlier that the real story of that scene seemed to be that we agree that Kim could have done what Kevin wanted and she chose not to. And so my question is, is that the point of the scene or, and I just want to talk about this because I think there are probably some people interpreting that scene. We saw Kevin and Paige's relationship play out the way you're describing there with her inner monologue uh, and with everything that was playing out between the two of them. And 
Kim backs Paige, but Kevin is really under, he's like, you know, Paige was right this time. And he's really kind of being a jerk to Paige. And I think that's the first we've ever seen between the two of them, that dynamic where Kevin is being a jerk to Paige. And I wonder if that is a, is a secondary goal of the scene, or if you think that that was just really not uh, a goal of the scene at all. And it was just something that was happening in the scene. I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that uh, Kevin has a nervous breakdown also, uh, like uh, that we find out like that Kevin was had like substance abuse issues and was like <laughs> high on cocaine the entire uh, season four as he's playing with all of his models. I'd love to see that play out in a, in the last episode, he gives a rambling long press conference. Yeah. That would be a great way to accomplish. <laughs> we find him. He's going down to uh, uh, El, El Pollo Hermano uh, <laughs> and uh, looking for uh, you know, a hit. Yeah, he's like, oh, I just need a, I, I need to find something here. I, I want a little bit of a, a little bit of zest with my chicken. Yeah, we could see that happen. That would be good if he's down to uh, the Chicken Brothers and, and hooking that up. So that would be great. I want to see the press conference. And I, I, I want to apologize see to, to our listeners. I want uh, Los Pollos Hermanos, not uh, yeah. El Pollo Loco. <laughs> Either way, you're you're a California guy at heart, Rob. You can take the boy out of the East Coast, but apparently you can't take the El Pollo Loco out of the uh, Rob Sesterney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, we see that later on in the episode, uh, you know, there's a scene where the Jim and Kimmy uh, are in bed. I don't know why I called her Kimmy. I've uh, I've uh, changed their names around. <laughs> this is uh, we're going off the rails. I was wondering, like, there's Mrs. Kim and there's Kim, and I wonder if there's anything going on there. It really threw me for a loop earlier in this episode when we were talking about Mrs. Kim. Yeah. Uh, do you think that that's sort of like his work spouse, Jimmy, the woman that runs the nail salon? I didn't think it before, but she turned out to be a good wingman this week. She had good advice. Yeah. And, and brought him liquor to, to drown his sorrows. So this is the first time I've ever seen her be nice to him. Yeah. So it's funny. Like Mrs. Kim is being nice to him when Kim's being mean to him. And if Kim's being nice to him, we'll be back to Mrs. Kim being mean to him. So we see Kim look at the top of the uh, Zafiro uh, tequila bottle. And uh, that ends up being this trigger for her where Jimmy ends up saying at the end of the episode, like, hey, I'm so sorry. This will never happen again. Uh, you know, you put so much on the line for me and I'll never forget it. And she gives him that line. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And uh, the, the just the way that the next shot they show is this burned out Shoney's or wherever Jimmy's trying to set up that office and the empty sign. When we know that Jimmy has been drawing out signs for Wexler McGill, we're seeing an entirely different version of Wexler McGill forming here. They don't need to sign for what they're about to do. And I don't really know what that's going to look like. Are they going to continue to run scams on uh, other PD clients? Is that what it's going to look like? Or I don't know, but I was a little surprised to be honest with you, just a little surprised that the DA didn't catch on uh, at least a little bit to what was happening here, especially with the phone portion of it, because she knows that the known associate of Huel Babineau is a guy who was selling drop cell phones. So she mm -hmm. might've been able to put all that together if she hadn't been bowled over by the onslaught of all of it. And truly, I think the performances were very convincing. So that all helped. But I think if they push their luck on this, this is a character. We know Rob that once they find somebody they like, they'll find a way to bring him back. If she tries it again with this lady, or if this lady catches a whiff of it, there could be trouble. And we know that the lady did not know that Kim and Jimmy were a couple. If that lady finds out that Kim and Jimmy are a couple. That spells trouble for sure. Right. Now, 
the idea of let's do it again. Uh, how many other cases like this right. can there be? How many times can you pull a scam off on the Albuquerque court system and this judge in particular? Uh, I just I don't know what doing this again looks like. I don't either. That's what I'm saying. It's bad business. I don't think they should they should go back to the well. There should have been one last score for Wexler McGill, and then they will ride off into the sunset. This does not bode well. This is the job that you don't go pull again, and especially not with any of the same involved players. And this this is trouble. I just think it spells trouble. I think Jimmy needs to be, and we, we might see it. We might not see them do anything. We might see Jimmy pull the plug on it, and that might create a problem between the two of them. The fact that Kim wants to do it again, I'm sure that this excites Jimmy, but I think there's still enough of a reasonable person inside Jimmy for Jimmy to say, this is kind of a bad idea. I don't think we should do this again. And that might be the incident that brings everything to bear between uh, Jimmy and Kim that we've seen them sh- shuffling aside for the whole season. I think if Jimmy puts his foot down and says, I'm not going to let you ruin your career like this over Kim wanting to do it again, that could bring everything falling down so that we might see that, that, that I think is as possible as them running another scam. Now in the breaking bad timeline, yes, Saul Goodman is a lawyer, better call Saul. That's how Walter White and Jesse Pinkman end up meeting him, that they see his signs, but in reality, that it seems like that Saul Goodman uh, makes his money from you know all these different you know underworld and, and shady deals that he ends up having, and so uh, I'm a little confused in terms of his law practice. Is the law practice just a front? Is making money through being a lawyer any part of Saul Goodman's actual bottom line? I think it is, but I think it's just to keep up appearances on the front. His first appearance in the Better Call Saul episode of Breaking Bad, he is like, I don't want to take a bribe. They go into his office. It doesn't go well, right? Because he he knows better than to just make it so obvious that he's a criminal that anybody can walk into his office and set him up. It doesn't smell right to him. And I think anytime we've seen his office, we see the waiting room full of the flotsam and jetsam, the detritus of society Jesse Pinkman and his friends well for example right like Badger like these guys that he's hired to defend so I think that there is some level of on the level law practice for Saul Goodman yeah I think he makes a lot of cash under the table and that's that's cash that goes in a go bag that he can pay as a drop you know no matter what that he needs to get out of town he's 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 got cash at the ready and that's off the books cash but I do think there is probably some level of legal business happening so that if anyone looks into his business they can say oh yeah look he's sustaining a business no problem right I wonder could that part of his business be some sort of a remnant of the uh, Kim Wexler impact uh, that she had on him in terms of him actually having some legitimate legal clients of you know her thing seems to be more of you know he was a public defender in the first season he wasn't that into it this seems like this is more kim's thing i wonder if she in an effort to let's do this again wants to set up some sort of a shop to be able to you know to take these types of cases on interesting that's a good observation and i think that we could see that. I mean, 
what we're looking at, of course, is a Jimmy McGill who is about to go back and practice law. He's about to start. This is going to happen. And so maybe that's what she encourages him to do. I will help you run these capers. I will send to you as Saul Goodman, the cases that I feel need a little bit different of a touch. Let's just say that. And we will find a way to run those things through the mill. And we won't do those things over the table like we're doing uh, with some of these other cases. So that might be what happens that she nudges him in that direction. He's got to be pretty above board because he's already been suspended. So he has to be very careful, but he certainly, I think is going to be more willing to take cases like this on and he doesn't have as much to lose as she does. So that arrangement could start because of this You're, I think that's a good observation. Now the office that he looks at, at the end of the episode, does, does that become the office that he has in the breaking bad timeline or is, are we still not there yet? I don't think that's the one uh, that certainly didn't jump out to me. I think the one that he was looking at in breaking bad was connected on both sides in some sort of strip mall. Mm-hmm. It was just in the middle of a strip mall. This looked like it was a little bit of a standalone on the left side. And then there may, was maybe some kind of active strip mall on the right side. So it looked like a burned out fast food restaurant of some sort. Uh, I don't know, but I, this was not the, the better call Saul office that I know for sure. Was there any significance to the hole in the wall that we saw uh, Jimmy cut a hole in the wall or saw cut a hole in the wall uh, a couple of weeks ago in the flash forward? Yeah, it's a definite connection there. I think they like to use the camera in interesting ways as well. So I think that's probably part of it. But there's definitely a connection there. I mean, this is a guy who I think that that shot was there in, in specifically to point out what a shitty office this was. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you can't deny that there's problem. a problem. Can't deny there's a parallel with the with the with the hole in the wall that he puts there in the next office. So whether he enters an office where it's in a bad condition or not, he certainly leaves it like that. And I think that might be the link there. Okay, we haven't talked about Nacho yet. Anything else from uh, Jimmy and Kim you want to mention, Antonio? Not really. No, the the goldfish is still around, still kicking it, still still working mm-hmm. out really well. So I still don't know exactly where that's going, but hey, we're doing it. I also thought it was a good callback with them sharing the cigarette out front yeah. of the 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 office. That's one of the first things we see Kim Wexler do in this show, and it's a gesture that we've seen them share in the past. So a nice reminder of the early stages of their relationship, at least on the show that we've seen with that shared cigarette there. Uh, no, that's really it. I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens with Mesa Verde, believe it or not, because I'm not sure if that scene was about just about Kim finally learning how to say no and not being interested in pulling a rabbit out of a hat, or if there's more to come with Mesa Verde and everything between Kevin and Paige. Yeah. And just to reiterate again that, you know, we talked a lot in the early part of the season about the pace of the show. I think through the first three or four episodes, uh, you know, we had that one episode where we really talked about like, where is this going? What are they doing? But I think they've done such a strong job in the second half of the season of sort of changing the narrative of the question that we were sort of like uh, my kids in the car. Uh, How many more uh, seasons is it going to be? Are we there yet? Is Jimmy Saul? And I think that uh, really this this uh, increased uh, pacing and then also changing the question of, oh, wait, what's this with Kim? Uh, I think that that is uh, very helpful with this show instead of just like in terms of like, OK, it's a fun show, but we know where it's going. 
Yeah, a good pivot for sure. And I, the arc of this whole season is going to be very interesting to map because there was that pivot and there was the switch and there was a late season time jump. And I don't know where we're going to leave it with Kim and Jimmy. So I'm excited to watch these final two episodes for sure. Okay, let's talk about Nacho here. And um, they ended up uh, having an early Nacho scene and then we ended on Nacho. I they could have ended on uh, Jimmy and Kim. I think that that would have been a little more impactful. Uh, let's do it again. Uh, but instead, we ended on uh, the Nacho scene. I was surprised we didn't end on Jimmy and Kim. Even when I rewatched it, when she said, let's do it again. Just seeing that thought, out of oh, place. The, the episode's over. Yeah, yeah it does. Because the, the Nacho thing was kind of a little ominous, but kind of a soft ending. And then, you know, the Jimmy and Kim thing had such a punch. It did. And the punch, I think, in the Nacho scene is because this is a character that we have heard about. And fans of the show have been speculating about. I I would have said to you a couple weeks ago, I probably said to Josh or you off the air, if people are really excited about seeing Lalo, a character who was mentioned in one line in Breaking Bad, then I just don't understand these people. I don't understand the people that are so excited to see a character that was just mentioned as one name in Breaking Bad. Why are they so excited? And get the scene paid off because the actor comes in and the energy in that performance and the way that it's shot with stupid crazy eight sitting at that table and just looking petrified when Nacho walks in and the music blaring, that was an exciting introduction for sure. I did not expect the introduction to Lalo to hit the way that hit. Uh, And it hits in part, as I said earlier, because when Jimmy McGill as Saul Goodman mentions Lalo in season one, he is relieved that the two men with guns and ski masks taking him out to the desert in the middle of the night aren't with Lalo. So that means to me that Jimmy McGill knows that Lalo can get into some shit and I can't wait to see how this plays out. Again, doesn't look good for Nacho. Earlier in the episode, Rob, though, we've seen the time jump has served Nacho well, right? He seems to be doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, He is almost uh, Gus Fring-esque in the way he handles the guy who uh, does not have the money. Uh, He just uh, sits very still, asks the guy to come over, and then uh, pulls the spacer out of his ear. Oh, pretty rough. Anytime you see gauged ears, that's what I think. It's just like somebody could grab you by that. It could get caught on something. And yet here we are pretty rough. And yeah, almost Gus Fring like. And I think it's great because he's almost Hector Salamanca. Like he's literally sitting in Hector's chair. So this is a guy we know who is caught between those two worlds. He works for the Salamancas, but he also works for Gus Fring. And so for him to be sitting in Hector's chair, but behaving like a monster like Gus Fring, I think it tracks. And if you'll recall, we've seen similar incidents on this show where Nacho was the one sitting at the front table and Hector was the Mm -hmm. one sitting at the back table. And in that instance, it wasn't Hector who delivered the violence. It was Hector who just basically with a wave of the hand and a grunt intimated that Nacho should be the one to do it. Who's working for who Hector says, and then Nacho has to beat up the very guy, Rob, who is now sitting at that table, having to be the new Nacho. Mm -hmm. Like this does not bode well for the Salamanca organization that crazy eight is sitting at this table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is not the guy you want sitting here. Like Nacho already beat the crap out of him. That's why it's really funny when Nacho pulls the earring out and then the guy leaves and crazy. It's like, well, you had to do that. How else is he going to learn? And it's like, well, yeah. How else are you going to learn mm-hmm. you piece of shit? Like that's just, uh, it's not doing his job, Rob. It's disappointing, but it's, uh, I think a really good performance by the guy who plays crazy eight uh or i guess at this point he's domingo um and he does some great stuff on breaking bad as well so this is 
is a good actor and they're giving him some great stuff to play with. He is very uncomfortable in this role. So I don't remember if we've ever seen Nacho's home life before, Antonio. Have we seen Nacho's pad before tonight? I don't think so. This strikes me as a new pad. Seems like he's leveled up in the last uh, eight or ten months. He has. He's Yeah, and he's got a bunch of uh, in-game currency, and he's buying new things for his character. Right. Uh, new skins, drugs for his tricks that he's got some, living in his house. Some babes that hang out at his house. Yeah, some meth tricks that just live there for drugs. Like, I, not a bad deal. He's got art hanging on the walls. He's got mm. a really nice car. Uh, and apparently, he's got a couple of fake cool Canadian house. IDs. Fake Canadian IDs, Rob. What about that? Yeah, I couldn't tell what those were supposed to be. I thought, uh, what is that like? His uh, medical insurance card for the veterinarian? I'm not sure uh, what that was, but Canadian ID. Interesting. So you think that Nacho's long-term plan is going to be to uh, make a run for the border, and we're not talking about Taco Bell. Or Del Taco, you California man, you. Uh, mm-hmm. No, uh, no, he's ready to, he and Papa will go to Manitoba. Uh, Winnipeg, I think, maybe. I don't know, but I saw Manitoba on the cards. They uh, The cards did not have their real names on them. Nacho was looking at him in the light, like, does this look good or not? So it, this is on his mind. Uh, and now that Lalo is in the mix, there's even more incentive, I think, for him to roll out of yeah. town, especially when Lalo offers him food and says, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, cool. Can we have Robert Forrester show up to help Nacho get out of town? Yeah, vacuum him right out of there. Suck him out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right let's talk about that uh, last scene in the episode uh, with Lalo. And, you know, uh, it seems like a fun guy came in. Uh, he's cooking in the kitchen. Yeah. Listens to music. He just says, Alexa, play upbeat. Uh, yeah. Salsa music. This is great. Uh, no, this is menace. There's menace in this role. There's menace in this performance. I thought it was great. Uh, I was very entertained. I'm very scared of what Lalo might do next. Yeah. And so he's trying to uh, get Nacho to eat something. You don't think there's any uh, poison in play, right? That doesn't seem like the Salamanca way. It does not. So uh, that does not seem like Gus Fring, maybe, but Salamanca, no. Uh, Yeah, but it's still a menace nonetheless. Yeah. And so uh, that he's got the uh, family recipe. And uh, he wants him to try it. And then uh, there's that closed caption in Spanish where he says to him, uh, you're going to die, which a lot of people have screenshotted that. Uh, And with good reason, right? Uh, Because it does not uh, it does not in any way bode well for Nacho. It's like earlier in the season when the the Oscar pick was Howard's end. Uh, They know. Look. They know their audience will will pick up on things like that. They spelled Frings back with the episode titles, with the first letter of the episode titles of all of season two, and people figured it out before all the season two episodes had even aired, Rob. So absolutely, they know when they throw something like that into the mix that people are going to pick up on it. So whether or not that actually is a, a foreboding mention for Nacho or not will, will remains to be seen. If he dies later, when people watch this, for the first time they're going to be like oh my god he says he's going to die or when they watch when they rewatch it they'll remember mm-hmm. that moment for sure do we think nacho is going to die i mean maybe like i but don't we I have don't... that opening scene from when we are introduced to uh saul and he's like are you ignacio's guys yeah he says that but that doesn't necessarily mean that ignacio is still on the board so 
that's uh, that's something that I'm not sure. I think they could go either way on that. Uh, yeah. Ignacio's guys could just be guys that used to work for Ignacio and right, Ignacio's but after dead. everything that Saul Goodman has been through, I mean, he's had almost no interaction with Nacho. If Nacho is going to die soon, you know, why would that be top of mind? For, you know, yeah, five years later. A- it's a good question because we could have seen that scene after what happened with Jimmy and Nacho earlier in previous seasons when Jimmy and the Kettleman's and everything that plays out with that Nacho's like, like you're, you, you know, I'm going to get you like, you've got something coming. And so maybe he's just carrying around that fear from all the season one interactions with him. And maybe that's it, but it doesn't seem like that would be immediately top of mind. It seems like there's more coming, uh, but I don't know. We'd have to over under bet that Rob instantly. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to definitely lose our over under. Yeah, bet. my over under, <laughs> taking the under of uh, one and a half Mike and Jimmy scenes is looking pretty good going into uh, two weeks left. I think you took the under on two and a half. So I think it's looking oh, really man. good. Yeah, I'm going to have to tweet something nasty at Dean Norris. This is no bueno. Yeah. I mean, the only interaction we saw with uh, Mike and Jimmy was uh, Jimmy asking Mike to go and steal the Alpine Shepherd boy. Yeah, no humbles for Mike. Uh, just, just harumps. Uh, yeah, this is yeah, not because Mike's really busy. I mean, maybe you know Jimmy might call him and say like, "Hey, Mike, I got something. I'm, I'm a little busy, James." Yeah, I'm sitting in a trailer watching some German guys play foosball, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is, I just don't see it. But, you know, hopefully I'll be proven wrong. And the final episode will be rife with Mike and, and Jimmy scenes, and I will win, and you will have to tweet something nasty at Dean North. <laughs> okay. Just going back to Lalo real quick. So uh, he talked about being good with numbers. I mean, uh, who has sent him? What is he there to do? I guess the thing that uh, Nacho really has to worry about is finding out about his involvement with uh, what happened to Hector, which, of course, uh, Gus knows. But I, I mean, who sent for Lalo to show up? It might have been now that Hector is at least perhaps somewhat capable with the finger taps. Does he have the bell? Of- Maybe he's got the bell. We don't know that. We haven't seen that. Nice. We haven't seen how it's a little foreboding. Well, who does the bell toll for Rob? Um, it, it, we haven't seen that, so we don't know, but it seems like he's there for the Salamanca side. If you'll recall, and it was in the previously on Nacho's belief is that one of Fring's goals here in getting the Salamanca cousins to wipe out that whole other criminal enterprise was that the cartel would have to divide the turf up and you couldn't give that other enterprises turf to the Salamancas since it was known that the Salamancas took him out. So who would you give it to? You'd give it to Gus Fring. So the Salamancas are probably in a position where they're now a little bit uh, beneath Gus Fring. And I don't know who's on the other end of the Salamanca cartel besides the cousins. Maybe the cousins sent Lalo. Maybe it was Tuco or somebody associated with that. Maybe it was Tuco's abuelita. Uh, We don't Uh, know. Uh, We don't know who it was. So I guess it remains to be seen. Okay. Antonio, uh, anything else from uh, this week's Better Call Saul? Werner misses his wife, Rob, of 26 years. Poor Marguerite. Is this, I mean, I don't think that Werner missing his wife is why he talked to the random guy at the bar. But Werner missing his wife, is this going to lead to something more direct that causes a problem with Werner? Is he going to FaceTime from the middle of the lab? Or is he going to somehow... It's tough to do in uh, 2003. 
Yeah, good point. Uh, but I'm just, I'm a little concerned that knowing how despondent he is about his family situation, if that was a little bit of a breadcrumb, and if we follow that trail, then we'll be able to track what happens next. I think that Werner's own depression over his own fate. The other thing I want to talk to you about, Rob, just before we get out of here real quick, whose fault is it that the lab is so far behind schedule? I think it's, you think it's Mike? I think it's Werner's fault. I think yeah. it's Werner and his crew's fault. So I wonder, they're all like so sad. Like Werner's like, I've been away from my wife for so long. No long. have never been this long in 28 years. It's so bad. It's like, bro, this is your fault. Like you misjudged how long this job was going to take. You're getting paid an awful lot of money. Like this is think all a bed and mess. the money you're making. Yeah, yeah, that's what the money is for. Uh, you did all of this <laughs> you yourself. You didn't say th- thank you. <laughs> yeah, they never did. That's what the money is for, right? That, this is you not. You didn't say donkey Shane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for all the joy and pain. Like I don't ultimately know, but I I feel like this is Werner's fault. Like mm-hmm. he's the one who came in. He's the one who provided the estimate. They're off schedule. And it's like, he's complaining. Oh, they're good boys. Everything is fine. Michael, you have done everything. You have done everything you could. And it's like, okay, so if Mike did everything he could, then who hasn't done everything that they could Werner. And I think I have less sympathy for Werner knowing that it's his fault. Uh, he, he reminds me of Gail. Uh, we had a couple people tell us that, you know, that, that Werner is German Gail. <laughs> and I feel Gale. like that's accurate. He's a sad sack. He's not doing his job. Well, he's not on top of things like this is it's his fault. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. Uh, I think that we're going to have to uh, take out Kai. And then I wonder if it's going to end up where Werner is not going to want to continue. If that's where we're going. Yeah, that might be the case. That seems the most likely. And then it's going to come to loggerheads where it's like, well, what do we do? And that's not L A G E R heads, Mm -hmm. Rob. Um, I don't know exactly how that'll play out. And maybe and that's that where the times. wife comes in, where maybe we're going to have some sort of like a kidnapping situation of like, a, remember Marguerite? Well, she's in the trailer, so get to work. <laughs> Yikes. This has turned into a rest development all of a sudden. Uh, Werner, uh, yes. Uh, Werner horny, Michael. Uh, I don't know. That would be bad. So <laughs> I wasn't saying like a conjugal visit. Oh, that's what I thought. <laughs> no, I was going to say like, hey, so you don't want anything to happen to ah. lovely Marguerite. So uh, I thought they set up the conjugal trailer for sure. No, know, no, man. that's not that's, God. that. Uh, I don't think they're bringing their All spouses right. in for conjugal visits. Rob, let's do it again. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm in a bad place. Clearly, you've turned me uh, into a different monster than I intended to be when we started this podcast. So here yeah. we are. So uh, very excited to see how it's going to uh, turn out. Uh, programming note for next week. Uh, we will have a recap for you, but because I have the live survivor podcast here in New York next week, I'm not going to be able to uh, get on here with Antonio in a timely manner. So you will be revisited by the great Josh Wiggler with Antonio Mazzaro for the episode nine recap. And I will rejoin you for the season finale coming up in two weeks.
Yeah, thank you to everyone for Don being patient. Shane. Yes, everyone who is being patient, that is. Uh, thank you to everyone for being patient uh, as we sort out our scheduling issues here with Better Call Saul in the second half of this season. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Josh, although I was really happy, Rob, to get back with you. I'm so hyped that you were so excited. I thought it could have gone either way. No, I'm glad I can't it went wait. this way. I can't wait for the next episode. And look, that... I don't think it was bad early on. It was just slow and it wasn't, you know, super exciting. The show's always well done, but now I, I really feel like that for the first time they've sort of uh, captured the breaking bad energy. The BBE. The BBE. I was about to say that, which is different than the BDE. Uh, that's <laughs> something very different. But yeah, this is good. I like that. That's great. But that means, Rob, that that if, if you're taking the Breaking Bad energy, that energy can generate some explosive incidents. And so as we're trending in that direction, I feel like we could be uh, we could be blasting more than the rock out of the elevator shaft. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. So TBD. I don't have a great read on where we're headed. I think we, we saw out some of the potential and we'll, it'll probably be something completely different. And I'm excited to talk about it with Josh and then with you for the season finale, for sure. I just think this season is going to culminate in something uh, also really huge. I, I would, I'm, I'm looking forward to a jaw dropper at the end of the season. That would be amazing. Okay. So we will uh, be uh, back or Antonio will be back with you uh, next week here on the Better Call Saul post-show recap. Uh, Antonio, you and Josh Wiggler wrapped up the center. We wrapped up the center. We wrapped up the center that, uh, speaking of jaw dropping endings, woof. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say anything else. Those podcasts are available at our, at post show recaps and get them from the main feed at post show recaps. Good time talking about that show with Josh Wiggler. Uh, there may be more to come from Josh and I, we're talking about a couple of different ideas. Uh, so stay tuned on that front. Uh, we don't exactly know what's next. Uh, but we are, we definitely enjoy talking about the center and Rob, I know you're back in the swing of things with, uh, everything else going on here at post show recaps as well. Yeah, Josh and I were back to the Game of Thrones beat this week. Uh, Jessica Lisa and I uh, picked up on the Fear of the Walking Dead. We've got one more week of Fear of the Walking Dead. Regular Walking Dead is around the corner as well. So uh, make sure you subscribe to everything here on Post Show Recaps. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. Uh, Antonio, anything else? That's it for me, Rob. Thank you very much to everyone again for being patient and excited to watch these next two episodes with you, Rob. Okay. Follow Antonio on Twitter. He is at AC Mazzara with two Z's and one R. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.